You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. As we look back through much of the 20th century and really uh, back through time, we, we discuss and have seen many different agencies and organizations that have been involved in the history of waterfowl management here in North America. One of the most widely known and influential agencies in that regard is the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and their reach is felt throughout many different aspects of waterfowl management. From a habitat standpoint, without question, the most significant component of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is going to be the National Wildlife Refuge System. Now, we expect that all of our listeners here are familiar with the National Wildlife Refuge System, and and many have likely either visited or hunted on refuges. And through those interactions, we suspect that you've kind of developed a few questions about the different activities that that occur and then what role they play in in the larger landscape. Today, we have joining us Dr. Heath Hagee, waterfowl ecologist for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's National Wildlife Refuge System in the Southeast region, and he is going to give us an overview of the refuge system in that region with a particular focus on their role in supporting waterfowl populations. Heath, welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure to be here. You, know, you and I have known each other for, for quite a while. We both attended Mississippi State. You live nearby. We live about 10 minutes away from one another. So, uh, yeah, we're happy to have you here and happy to, to, um, to get you to answer some of these questions and just talk about what you do and what the refuge system does in support of waterfowl management. And so to start with, give our folks some of your background. Let's hear about your personal professional background, then let's transition to kind of what you do for the National Wildlife refuge system. 
Thanks, Mike. Well, I grew up in Oklahoma, uh, so in the in the Central Flyway, and uh, played some football at a, a small university in Oklahoma because I wasn't big enough to uh, play at a big university. Um, but that's all right. I made it. I made it through. I uh, ended up going to North Dakota State for my master's, and then Mississippi State for my PhD. Then I've I've bounced around the Southeast and the the Midwest for a few years, doing various roles, including being the director of the Forbes Biological Station at the Illinois Natural. Uh, history survey. Um, folks may be familiar with Frank Bellrose um, of the Illinois Natural History Survey, and that was uh, that was his his station there in uh, in Illinois. Uh, in 2017, there was a new position created in the Southeast to have a, a waterfowl ecologist for the National Wildlife Refuge System, and I was fortunate to to, to be able to um, get that role and was able to move down here with my family from from Illinois. And now I cover the the entire Southeast region, so Arkansas uh, and Louisiana. Indiana, all the way over to um, North Carolina, down to Florida, and, and including Kentucky. That's kind of the 10-state region that um, that I cover. I work with uh, National Wildlife Refuges to uh, ensure that uh, we have a great habitat management for, for waterfowl and other uh, wetland-dependent birds. Um, so I'm sort of like an internal consultant, if you if you want to say that, to our, our biologists and our managers across the, across the southeast on our 131 National Wildlife Refuges in the southeast. 131. I didn't realize it was that, uh, that many. You, you sort of are a consultant advisor on waterfowl, waterfowl management issues mm-hmm. on those as well. Now, this is a relatively unique position within the Fish and Wildlife Service, right? Do other regions have positions similar to yours? Yeah, that, that, that is correct. Um, some of the other regions have similar positions, but I'm not aware that anybody has this exact uh, position nested within the, the refuge system. Um, in other regions, obviously the, the, the service, we do different things in different regions. So in other regions, we have have some um, some folks that may be in the migratory bird program or maybe in the inventory monitoring program within refuges, and they may provide some technical assistance. Um, but but this position is a bit unique in that I'm within the refuge system, and I can work directly with our, our managers and our biologists on refuges to to make sure that we that we do the the most appropriate things where and when we need to for for waterfowl to provide habitat. From the perspective of the National Wildlife Refuge System, obviously we've kind of introduced here already and others have talked about, it really was started because of its importance for waterfowl habitat, right? Correct. And of course, that has, we all know that waterfowl habitat management benefits a whole lot more than just ducks, geese, and swans. But how do you, how do you view the National Wildlife Refuge System nowadays in terms of its importance for, for supporting waterfowl populations? We know that waterfowl depend upon more than just public lands, right? They depend upon more than just federal lands. They depend upon private lands, the, the whole landscape, right? So how do you view, how do y'all talk about within the service the 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 way in which the refuge system and the properties that y'all have and that you manage fits within that larger landscape of habitat. Mike, that's a great point. You know, we are we are one component of sort of the the wetland complexes that that waterfowl are going to use across their their annual cycle. Um, for most most of our our dabbling ducks and our our geese, um, even some things like sandhill cranes, we're going to provide the migration and, and winter habitat resources for those. So uh, high energy foods, a sanctuary 
those kinds of resources are going to be important on our many of our national wildlife refuges. Um, during the, the breeding season, during the, the spring and summer, um, of course, wood ducks and, and some other cavity nesting uh, birds will use some of our, our national wildlife refuges, and we, of course, manage for those. Um, but the, the biggest component of our management is for those migra- migrating and wintering birds uh, here in the, in the southeast. Um, as you said, we're, you know, we're a component of a much larger landscape, and when we, when we do our internal planning, we want to make sure that we recognize um, state WMAs, uh, other federal lands potentially, and, and private lands too in, in the amount of food and habitat resources they provide. Um, and you know, as you know, uh, many waterfowl hunting clubs provide a lot of food on some of their areas. A lot of WMAs run by state agencies provide a lot of food. Um, and so food is one component that we provide on refuges, but uh, maybe one of the biggest things that we do that's a bit more unique than, than many states or many private lands is we provide sanctuary. So we provide areas where um, that are closed to hunting um, and are often closed to other um, public uses as well. And we even try to limit the amount of time that we spend in those areas during the winter so that the birds have a safe place to go and um, and rest and, and feed and then um, and, and just sort of hang out and do any other life history uh, sort of activities that they need to need to do, whether that be pair bonding um, or other other sorts of things in the in the fall, winter and, and early spring before they migrate back to the breeding grounds. So we try to provide that that sanctuary and we spread those sanctuaries out across the landscape. So they're sort of hubs for those birds to use to go out and use other private lands. We expect the birds to move off of the refuges, go out and use uh, food resources and use the habitat resources out on those private lands. So by sort of sprinkling refuges, National Wildlife Refuge across the landscape, we've created all these little these little hubs or these stair steps originally is sort of what they were thought of, these stair steps that birds can use to, to use other parts of the landscape. I knew we were going to get to a conversation about sanctuary in the National Wildlife Refuge system. And a lot of people have different opinions on that. Sure. A lot of a lot of different opinions on that. But you you went there early on. So I'll just kind of uh, follow up on that. You and I were at a meeting here recently and we were talking about some ongoing research that, that y'all are supporting. And you're looking at how Radio Mark Mallards, I believe it is, are using some of the areas around National Wildlife Refuges and and on National Wildlife Refuges. And one part of that study deals with use of sanctuary versus um, open access mm-hmm. areas. And I asked you a question about kind of what's what are the what's the type of information that you're looking for, and how would you use this information to potentially change m- refuge management decisions and you made some, you, you, you told me that, that it, it relates to how you would manage sanctuary. So kind of follow up on that, going back to what I asked you, is like, okay, if you do change, if this information tells you that if you understand better how birds are using the sanctuary, you would change, you might change your sanctuary configurations. Then my question to you was, well, so what's your objective there for changing that sanctuary configuration? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Mike. So to, to reference um, a couple of the studies that you mentioned there. Um, so we are involved with several universities that are conducting research using primarily mallards, um, but there are some there are some other studies ongoing as well um, on, on, uh, on other species. Um, but here in, in West Tennessee, 
Tennessee and in uh, and in Eastern Arkansas, um, the a couple of universities, Tennessee Tech and University of Arkansas at Monticello, have put out a bunch of GSM cellular transmitters on uh, on mallards, and that allows us to see how those birds use the landscape. How much time do they spend in sanctuary? How far do those bo- birds move from sanctuary? And when do they when do they move around? Do they change their do they change their movements? Um, you know, from uh, early pre-season, pre-hunting season time periods or during the split between hunting seasons or after hunting season? Do they change how much sanctuary they use? Um, do birds move between our sanctuaries? You know, do they do they hop around or do they stay all at one area? Um, and then what are, you know, what are what are survival and harvest rates that look like from our banded birds and our, and our transmitted birds? So we have a whole lot of objectives. But with respect to sanctuary, one of the things that that um, we're super excited to be learning is how how much those birds move between our, our different sanctuaries and if distance between those sanctuaries sort of matters. And so if you have, you know, two refuges that both have sanctuary and they're 10 miles apart, you know, is there a higher chance that those birds will trade back and forth on a daily basis or, you know, use one for a while and then in a week go use the other one? Um, or are those fairly distinct and they sort of are holding their, their own distinct populations that then go and use the private lands and the WMAs around those sanctuaries. And so that research is ongoing. Um, but what's interesting is that um, is that some of the some of those data are really telling us that the, you know there is a lot of use of those of private lands next to those um, next to those sanctuaries and WMAs next to those sanctuaries during the hunting season. A lot of it comes at night, of course. You know, mallards are nocturnal foragers, and so they're going out and they're using you know corn or moist soil or rice or whatever around our refuges. But there a lot of them are doing it at at night, um, and that that's. That's super interesting. Um, one of the reasons, as you, as you alluded to, that we're interested in knowing all this is we want one of our objectives, of course, is is public use. So not just public hunting and providing hunting opportunities on the refuge, but providing birds that are available for people to enjoy across the landscape. And so it's helpful to us to know, you know, when birds are moving off the refuge and when they're moving on to private areas, so that they can be enjoyed by bird watchers, they can be enjoyed by uh, by by duck hunters, and just the general of public. And so collecting all of this information will help us um, as we as we try to acquire new lands. Where do we acquire them? What kind of um, habitat resources do we want to acquire rice fields or do we want to acquire a bottomland forest? And then how do we manage it? So all of this information that, that should be coming in in the next couple of years from these large studies is going to really help us try to maximize our management so that we not only provide good habitat for the birds so that a number of them can go back to the north, but so they're also available for people to enjoy both hunters and and non-hunters. So what do you what do you say to the person that says, what do you mean you're providing sanctuary so that I can enjoy and have access to these birds? They're just always on the refuge and I never see them off the refuge. Isn't that the way it goes? <laughs> I'd say they need to look at some of our uh, our transmitter information because I can promise you they spend a fair amount of time off the refuge um, just at different times of the day. Um, and of course, you know, one another thing we're looking at is what makes them move off the refuge, right? Is it is it is it cold is, is it weather? Um, do they naturally do it at different times of the year. So 
all of these interesting factors that uh, some graduate students are going to pour over in the next couple of years. I think that's a really good point. I'm, of course, I made that comment, asked that question sort of, sort of jokingly, but it's important for people to know that the refuge systems has an objective for pro- providing sanctuary and, and it relates to ensuring public access and public use and uh, appreciation of that, of that resource. And all waterfowl hunters and anyone that has spent any time pursuing or watching waterfowl will, will know that sanctuary is important for giving birds a place to rest, a safe space to, uh, to get away from some of the disturbance. And there are, it certainly does play a role in this, uh, in sort of a landscape scale effect. One of the more interesting things that, that you told me the other day is that the particular question of interest is the configuration of mm-hmm. refuges, single, whether you need a, a single big sanctuary, a lot of small sanctuary spread across the, the landscape, and how do, how do those different configurations affect bird movements and opportunities for, for the public to, to, to view and have access to those birds? Yeah, it's a great point. One of our biggest questions in the refuge system, and I, and I think in the waterfowl management community as far as habitat management is concerned, is how much sanctuary do we need and what's sort of the juxtaposition of that sanctuary? So how many of those, how many of those do we need? How big do they have to be? How close together do they have to be to achieve our objectives? And so that's one thing that, that we have very little data on. And so gathering all of this information through these, through these transmitters, you know, each transmitter can give us thousands and thousands of GPS points over, um, uh, during that winter period when a mallard is moving around the landscape. So that's going to allow us to to look at their patterns of movement and see if there are any differences and then tailor those to our our objectives on refuges. So it's, it, it is 100% a complex topic um, and we're just beginning to get enough information to really be able to try to be uh, a bit more strategic in how we think about sanctuary, um, trying to figure out how sanctuary really really affects survival? How does it affect, um, you know, overall fitness, birds going back and reproducing um, so that we have another fall flight next year? So all of these things are, are sort of working together, but we're trying to get a handle on that. And, and the refuge system is, 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 I would say, sort of at the, at the forefront, forefront of that, working with universities to gather this information. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. 
united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. So let's move on now to a few of the other questions that I have, and I want to go back to something you said early on. In the southeast region, 131 refuges Correct. that have been kind of added gradually over the years. The first one was... 1903, if, if, my, if I... If Pelican I, Island? That's right. Yep. That's right. 1903. Yeah. And, have, and we continue to... To establish new refuges, it's not very common anymore, is it? Yes, that's correct. So the one of the most recent ones would be Green River. That's the most recent one in our region, which is in Kentucky. Kentucky's second national wildlife refuge. Only that's only the second only one the, in Kentucky. Only the oh, second I didn't one realize that. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of surprising. And so again, just to clarify, as you've said, this we are talking about the southeast region. We could have a similar conversation with with representatives from the Fish and Wildlife Service refuge system and every other region. Do you have an idea of the acreage that? captured by those 131 refuges? Ooh, I should know that, but I don't. It is millions of acres. Um, I think of wetlands, we have something like 3 million wetland acres in the in the southeast. Um, and so we have uh, certainly more than that um, in, in total acreage, but I, I don't know that off the top of my head. Where I want to go now is to talk about how things have changed with regard to the, the acreage, the refuges, they were established and managed almost solely on the, for the benefit of migratory birds, right? And I guess that probably still is the main, one of the main, one of the main priorities for refuges, right? Correct. One of the main, but we have, we have several other and our, our, several other priorities and our mission has certainly diversified in the last 30 years. So talk about that. How has it diversified and what are some of the new priorities or expanding priorities for the refuge system? Yeah, migratory birds is certainly one of our our priorities in the in the southeast. Um, threatened and endangered species, another a very important priority that we have. And then um, public use and access has has especially with the last administration um, became a, a a increasing priority for us. And so making sure that that where it's compatible, that's another that's another um, thing we have to consider. We have to make sure that any activity, management activity, public use is compatible with the with the refuge mission on our national wildlife refuges um, and so um, and so that's an important consideration for us um, before we you know open an area up to kayaking or hunting or anything like that we have to do an analysis and make sure that um, that those are compatible that it's not going to take away um, too much from you know one of those one of those priority purposes that we have the determination of what is a priority for an individual refuge is can be a complicated thing can't it it absolutely Absolutely can, um, and 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 generally, it's not that it can. It generally that it is a complicated thing. Um, so the the refuge system is super interesting um, if you dig in dig into the history because it's so complicated. Um, so we mentioned the first national wildlife refuge uh, went on the ground in nineteen designated in nineteen o three, and that's sort of the start of the refuge system. But we didn't call it the refuge system at that point. It took about thirty years, give or take. Um, and there were properties being protected all, ac 
across the U.S. Um, by uh, under various authorities in various ways, some paid for, some donated, just a whole uh, sort of smattering, if you will, of different kinds of properties with, with, with different legislative action behind them or secretarial order, all sorts of ways um, that, that, uh, that these properties sort of congealed into eventually into the National Wildlife Refuge System through a variety of uh, a variety of laws. And so when some of those refuges authorized mm-hmm. are and brought into existence, it's is it always done through now a piece of legislation? Much of the time, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be. So uh, there are various ways that throughout our history that we've had national wildlife refuges sort of come to be. So it can be a legislative action. Um, you can have uh, secretarial orders. You can have so you can have somebody donate. Um, you can have an executive order. So there are a variety of different ways that a uh, national wildlife refuge over the over our history has been been established and got their refuge purposes. So that's another thing. And some some refuge purposes are very, very explicit. They're, they're linked to a specific um, kind or a specific uh, piece of legislation. Others are less specific and they may, you know, so one refuge may have refuge purposes that have been identified as, you know, for wildlife conservation, for example. Another one may be very explicitly for, uh, you know, waterfowl, wading birds and other migratory birds. Um, and so, and, and everything in between, including things like, you know, for wetlands in general. Um, and so when, when refuge managers are trying to determine what their priorities are, that's one of the first things that they go to is they go back, what are our, what are our purposes? What are our, our objectives and what then sort of latitude uh, do we have to work within those? So when people visit multiple refuges across the country, across the region, and they see different types of habitat management, and they see areas where they, in their mind, they say, well, why isn't this managed in X way? Or why are we doing Y when this looks like it would be great for this? Or why aren't we doing more for waterfowl? Or why aren't we doing more for the, this TNE species that we know, threatened and endangered species that we know uh, is, is present in this area? That's going to go back to, there's going to be some limitations, basically, to com- some constraints, some requirements that are built into some of the language that was associated with the, the establishment of those refuges? 100%. Um, you know, we have some refuges, especially some of our newer ones that were designated specifically for an endangered species or a threatened species. We have other ones, uh, especially some of the older ones that, you know, are, are very, very broad. Um, you know, so the, the establishing language may be for, uh, for wetlands and all wildlife or some variation of that. And so um, that can lead to a lot of variation in how those properties are managed. And, and, and certainly they should be managed differently depending on where they are in the landscape and w- what priorities have been set for that for that refuge. So let's talk a little about the role of National Wildlife Refuges in supporting waterfowl populations here in the southeast region. And let's we, we've talked about sanctuary and it's how it fits within that, but what are some of the other ways in which and priorities, I guess I might say, for the refuges in support of waterfowl populations, yeah, in the southeast region. Where breeding, non-breeding, where does that fall? What are some of the habitat management activities that are involved in in that aspect of the refuge's role? So what we do is we try to work with our conservation partners. So we talked about recognizing all of the private lands around us and the, and the WMAs, our state partners, other federal partners, um, uh, nonprofit organizations who may own land. Um, and so we try to work with everyone around our refuges uh, uh, to make sure that we're being as efficient as, uh, efficient as possible uh, with our management activities so that the, we can stretch the dollars 
as far as possible for the for the birds. Um, we do have a consistent set of objectives across the region. So every refuge now has a for waterfowl anyway has a population objective, a number of birds, which which are sort of their goal to to uh, provide habitat for, and then that's translated into a foraging habitat objective. So an amount of food that those birds um, that those birds would consume over winter. Think about a big pile of calories. Um, and so that's consistent with the way a lot of our, our migratory bird joint ventures also do large-scale conservation planning. And so it trans so we can translate what we're doing into their large-scale uh, conservation planning activity. So we talked about sanctuary earlier. Um, that is that is important, um, but it's also pretty complicated. And sometimes we don't have as much latitude um, to change sanctuary as we might um, to change habitat management on the ground. Um, and so that's why we uh, we went through a process a few years ago, established these population and foraging habitat objectives um, across all of our refuges that are important to waterfowl um, in the in the southeast, which is about 70. We have about 70 refuge refuges, which we consider to be sort of important to waterfowl, have a lot of wetlands, have a lot of waterfowl um, that use them during the, the fall and winter. And so that's sort of the, the base of our um, our our planning activities for um, uh, for prioritizing what types of management we do. Now, sort of stepping down from those broad broad objectives that we have for each refuge, um, those foraging habitat objectives can be met in a large variety of ways. So we could use um, we could use crops, we could use corn or rice or milo or millet, a variety of crops that we might plant. Um, and we uh, virtually all of our refuges that are important to waterfowl do moist soil management. So provide uh, sort of seasonal wetlands that that grow up with lots of uh, wetland plants that produce a lot of seeds that are good for waterfowl. And we have lots of refuges that do that. So so a variety of different combinations of crops and natural wetlands um, we use to meet those foraging habitat objectives. So help me under understand, or I'll ask you a question that, that I've heard people ask me on occasion, and you referenced it, the, the agricultural crops that are part of the, the, the refuges habitat management program. Mm -hmm. What's the history behind that? Mm -hmm. Why is it important? My One of the things that I tell people is that you know, the, the refugees, as, as you say, have identified goals for their contribution to regional waterfowl population and habitat objectives, right? Mm -hmm. And so they have certain goals that they need to meet. And they use those agricultural crops because they're high calorie mm -hmm. and they, they can be more efficient on their land, kind of given budget constraints, capacity constraints. Correct. Am I in the right ballpark with that answer? 100%. Um, so we try to do as much, quote unquote, natural management as we can. Moist soil management, seasonal emergent marshes, bottomland hardwood forests that are flooded during winter, so forested wetlands. We try to maximize that on our on our refuges. But, you know, as a proportion of the landscape, our refuges are an incredibly small proportion of the landscape. Even if you included all of our state partners with WMAs, you know, we have an incredibly small portion of the landscape that we can manage and we can um, make sure that there's enough uh, food and area for an area to conduct their other activities that waterfowl need in the winter. And so um, crops where they're appropriate provide a huge bang for our bucks. You can get a big pile of energy um, for a limited amount of amount of area compared to natural wetlands. Sometimes 15 to 20 times as much energy in some of our crops per unit area than some of our natural wetlands. And so what we generally try to do on, on most of our refuge 
refuges where we where we have these large goals and we can't meet uh, we can't meet those just with moist soil vegetation or just with bottomland hardwood forest. Then we try to supplement that with um, with agriculture to make sure we pr- provide enough food resources for a portion of the birds that 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 are in a region. There's an important caveat there, and, and that's what I said, a portion of the birds that are in a region. So we don't plan to take care of all of the birds in West Tennessee on our wildlife refuges. We plan to take care of a small portion of those. And the same thing in Arkansas, same thing in Florida, North Carolina, so on and so forth. So we build that into our planning process. We talk to our state partners. How, what proportion of the birds that come here do you think you can take care of? What proportion do you think that, that private lands provides food for? And so we sort of have that conversation we go through a process and then we land on sort of our contribution. So even though we do produce crops in the Southeast on our refuges, we are only contributing to a small portion of the energetic needs of, of most waterfowl um, throughout the throughout the area. We're depending on private lands. We're depending on our state partners to provide the rest of that energy. And the National Wildlife Refuge System looks to not only the state partners, but uh, other partners uh, through the joint venture, uh, the migratory bird joint ventures that are were established by the North American Waterfowl Management Plan. We've had some mm-hmm. people on pr- previously to, to discuss those. That's the the larger partnership framework under which those conversations occur, right? Hundred percent. And the conservation planning that the joint ventures do is it's kind of replicated by you at the at the local, more more regional scale around your refuges. Correct. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. We work. We try to work down from those joint venture objectives where they exist, um, and make sure that on a more localized basis, we have an idea of what we should and can can contribute around our refuges. So we're trying to paint a picture here for folks to understand that the refuges don't work in isolation from Absolutely all their state and, and other private land partners. And the joint ventures provide, as I said, that framework through which those conversations that and that collaborative planning occurs. And that's one of the key roles of your position, right? To help facilitate that process and achieve some consistency in how that process occurs because the Southeast region is intersected by multiple joint ventures and there's slight deviations, slight differences in how the planning occurs across those those uh, joint ventures, not not nothing too fundamentally different, but some small small differences. Have you? How's that gone for you? What's been your experience over the past few years trying to achieve that level of consistent planning or more consistent planning and coordination? Because the refuges have seen resource constraints, budget cuts, the whole issue of complexing of mm-hmm. refuges. Now used to all be or most maybe all individual refuges, but here in more recent times, you now have complexes of refuges as a way of consolidating consolidating capacity under reduced budgets. So it's, they're facing a lot of challenges. So how's your, how's, how have things gone for you here over the past <laughs> few years? It's always exciting. Um, and it, 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 it's always a longer conversation than you think it's going to be in the beginning, but I think that's okay. It's, it's a good thing. Um, I'll chance a guess here. I think there are six joint migratory bird joint ventures that overlap the Southeast region. Um, that's at least close to reality. Um, and so working with all of those joint ventures, working with where they are, are in their planning processes. They're all in a little different place in their planning processes. Even if they're, even if they use similar planning processes, um, they're generally not going to be the same. The, you know, the, the units, the, the crosswalk can be a little bit different. And so that's something that, 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 uh, has kept me busy over the last few years is, is trying to have a consistent, um, consistent set of objectives for refuges that can work within and be, um, complementary to as much as possible, all those different planning processes for, for waterfowl, because at the the end of the day, it's important that that we all do this together, um, and that uh, and 
our and our joint venture partners or through those partnerships, it's uh, they're super helpful in letting us know or helping us determine what uh, what our contributions to the landscape are and 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 should be uh, relative to private lands, WMAs, and other things. That's that's too big for us to figure out for me to for me to sit and figure out on my own. And so I depend on um, on our, our our partners, some of them in state agencies, some of them in the Fish and Wildlife Service, some of them in in, in NGOs like Ducks Unlimited. Um, so super important um, are those partnerships for uh, for our planning on national wildlife refuges. Have you had other regions of the Fish and Wildlife Service inquire about your position, the, the nature of your mm-hmm. position? Is there, because as we said at the start, it's a new position and it's a, is it, is it a joint position jointly supported by the refuge system and Division of Migratory Birds? Is that correct? My position is nested in refuges uh, currently. Um, but to, to your to your question, yes, um, I, I often um, I often talk with other regions. Um, I'm not sure um, if, if they're considering any position like mine. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, there are some other regions that that have people that do what I do. It just may be nested in several other positions. It may be spread out across programs. Some people may do some of the planning in migratory birds, or they may nest that in their inventory monitoring program. And so there generally are people doing similar things in other regions. Um, it's just a little bit less consolidated in a in a single position from, uh, from my experience. I often work with people in other regions, so Fish and Wildlife Speak or whatever. We have Region 3, which is sort of the Midwest. That's our Legacy Region 3. We have Legacy Region 2, which is uh, the Southwest, Oklahoma, Texas, and other states. Um, and I often work with with those other regions on um, on things that are uh, that are helpful and beneficial to both of us, like um, uh, crop yield assessments, for instance, uh, or wood duck uh, wood duck banding goals, um, things like that. There are uh, many things that, of course, we're talking about migratory birds here, so they 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 cross our regions every year, and so we have to work together. And so part of my a big part of my position is coordinating with what's going on in other regions and making sure as much as possible that what we do is complementary um, for those what those birds need need up and down the the migratory bird flyways. Heath, this has been a, a great conversation. I've had other questions come to my mind that I could ask you about. I know you get out and do some wood duck banding, some Canada goose banding. You are involved in a lot of different research projects here in the southeast and and probably farther and probably even still involved in some in the Midwest. I know you, you work there, as you mentioned earlier, but we're going to have to wrap this up. I guess in closing, what are some of the most significant challenges that you see for National Wildlife Refuges relative to waterfowl management here going forward? It's a great question. Um, you mentioned one earlier, you know, budget constraints and consolidation. That's not unique to the refuge system. It's not unique to federal government. You know, a lot of a lot of agencies have had have had shrinkages um, and, and and I'm I'm not going to advocate one way or the other for, for budgetary items. We certainly have had our mission broadened in the refuge system and, and I think I think that's good. You know, it's not just about waterfowl. It's not just about wading birds. It's not just about endangered species. It's not just about uh, recreation and giving people access to the outdoors or environmental education. It's about all of those things and more. And so that broadened mission um, with increasing human populations, um, increasing threats to the landscape, all of those factors put more and more of a strain on our refuge staff to do the job that that we've done for 75 years or so now in the Fish and Wildlife Service. And so all sorts of things 
things are sort of vying for our time and our refuge manager's time. So if you if you go to a National Wildlife Refuge and the grass hadn't been mowed around the office in a few days, it may be that one person has 20,000 acres to uh, to worry about. And so give us a little grace. Uh, but we do want you to come out. We do want you to enjoy our National Wildlife Refuges. Um, it's a pleasure to talk to folks as they, they come and they, they view our birds or they enjoy our recreational opportunities that we offer. So we, we do want that. Uh, we want people to come enjoy them. Thank you for joining us here, Heath. It's been a great conversation and we're going to catch up with you on a few other topics here later on. Thanks, Mike. A special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Dr. Heath Hagee, waterfowl ecologist for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service National Wildlife Refuge System in the Southeast region. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for producing the podcast and getting them out to you. And to you, the listener, we thank you for your time and spending with us and for your support of wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.